Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As we continue our series on the corporal works of mercy, we shift our attention to clothing the naked. There's the literal interpretation, and there's also a deeper way to look at it, including other forms of nakedness, like human trafficking, unsafe working conditions, and multiple ways human dignity suffers. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop to continue our talk about the corporal works of mercy. Before we get into today's topic, Bishop, do you remember the first time learning about the corporal works of mercy? I'm sure it was in grade school, Uh but I don't remember exactly. But back in those years, in the 1960s, you know, the way catechism was done was there was a lot of memorization. Right. So I'm sure... Even then, I learned by memorization both the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy. Was it the Baltimore Catechism? It was. Yeah. yeah. At that time, pretty much, or an adapted version of it, Uh, but basically it was the Baltimore Catechism in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. So grade school, probably elementary school. Yes. When you would have covered that. St. Mary's in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Uh Sisters of St. Joseph from Chestnut Hill. They were very, very good teachers. All I sisters? So all of your teachers? Every grade but one, I had a sister. Yeah. Yeah. There were probably 25 nuns in the school. Huh. When I started, it was over 1,000 kids. I think I had like 60 kids in, in my classroom. Not my class. My class would have had over 100, but it'd be like, I don't know how yeah. they did it, <laughs> how the poor sister was able to <laughs> control 60 little kids, but... They did. Yeah. Well, we have talked about feeding the hungry. We've talked about giving drink to the thirsty, sheltering the homeless. And this week we're talking about clothing the naked. So is this similar to sheltering the homeless? Clothing the naked is kind of a... Yeah, I think so. They all have to do with protection in a way. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is right from... The parable of the last judgment, Jesus said, I was naked and you clothed me. Mm -hmm. So as we go through these works of corporal works of mercy, we keep remembering it's about recognizing the face of Jesus in those who are poor, Mm -hmm. those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are homeless, and now those who are naked. And I'm sure there's places in the world that literally do not have clothing and they are naked. Probably more so, it's they don't have adequate clothing or decent clothing. Correct. And I've seen that, I mean, in my travels with Catholic Relief Services, but even right here in our own nation, our own country, I remember when I was a pastor and there were people who needed coats. I mean, Mm -hmm. they didn't have enough warm clothing for the winter. You know, we're not talking about being literally naked now, but sometimes not enough clothes or not the right kind of clothes for the weather. Right. And and that is related to human dignity too, when you think about it, not having the proper clothes. Of course, there are other forms of nakedness too, that we could kind of expand this a bit. We think of women, for example, who are victims of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. There's a certain nakedness there. They're being stripped of their dignity. Sure. Or the homeless, as you mentioned. There's a certain 
loss of dignity. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of nakedness. And then there are ways of treating the human body as if it's a commodity, like happens in human trafficking or even with minors. So these different forms of nakedness, and we're called in all of these forms to to clothe the naked, to help restore their dignity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it obviously, you know, part of this too is that there's plenty of goods in the world <laughs> and they're not distributed necessarily in equal way. So again, it gets to that principle of solidarity with our neighbor, with other human beings here in our country, but all over the world. So that's another uh, important thing. And when we talk about clothing, it's a, it's a necessity. I've had also experiences, even here in Fort Wayne, with the issue of, of clothing. I was once talking to, well, I live across from St. Mary's Church, so I'll run into people who are going there to the soup kitchen or are going next door to the Ave Maria house. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I develop some kind of uh, relationship. And I remember one guy who would come by my door quite often and, you know, there was an odor and he was poor and really nice guy. And, and you know, I would notice those things. What he was wanting more was he, he enjoyed the conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he would need some food or whatever. Yeah. But he never asked for clothes and his clothes were terrible. Uh-huh. They were kind of ragged. And in the winter, it, he wasn't sufficiently clothed in warmth. Yeah. And he didn't bring it up. And since I kind of developed a relationship with him, I, I said to him, aren't you cold? Aren't you, you know, or uh, I didn't point out that his clothes were in bad shape because mm-hmm. I didn't want to offend him or anything. But I, I just gently brought up the topic and, and, um, and he admitted, he said, yeah, I wish I had. So, you know, and it's very easy to help someone like that, yeah. you know, getting good, warm, heavy socks, for example. Yeah. Just something like that, which I was able to get for him. And I look at my closet and I'm like, I don't buy clothes hardly ever, Uh but I get a lot in Uh gifts, like at Christmas time or whatever, clothes that I'll never wear, Uh you know, and I'm kind of, you know, what do I do? You know, and sometimes I'll give them to St. Vincent de Paul Society, but I'm constantly, I I definitely would say right now, I have too many clothes. Mm -hmm. I need to go through them again and donate them because it's not right that I keep all these clothes when I'm not even going to wear them. And there are people who would really appreciate them. What thing was it that said, if you have two coats and there's somebody that doesn't have any, then one of those belongs. That was Jesus. Was it? Yeah. Oh, the two coats. But there was another one that said, like, if you have too many of things, it, uh, one of them belongs to the poor. Oh, that might have been John Chrysostom. That sounds like John Chrysostom. Uh-huh. We have that famous story, too, of St. Martin of Tours, where he saw a poor person, and with his sword, he cut his cloak in two uh-huh. and gave half of it to the poor man. That's a very famous story, St. Martin of Tours. Well, what you mentioned by Jesus, it's, what, what is it, if, if you have... Two tunics, I guess it is. Give one away. Uh Since that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most of us, (laughs) myself for sure, 
would look at our closet and be a little embarrassed if people knew how often you wear some of those clothes, you know, and that, yeah, that you can donate that to any one of these organizations. I mean, we have a ton of them in the diocese that, that will either resell them and use the money to give to the poor or actually offer them to those that don't have clothing. And, you know, what I was thinking about, I think I might've mentioned I have a new great nephew and was able to spend time with the family over after Christmas. And when I was buying Christmas presents for my new great nephew, I mean, it was only, you know, I wasn't, it's been quite a while since I've been buying baby clothes, probably since my own nephew and nieces were babies. Well, I'm looking at these little clothes when I went to the store and I'm thinking, wow, you know, $25 and it's just this little piece of, you know, or $30. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, this is expensive. And, and they grow out of it so right, fast. Right. And I'm looking at the thing one to three months and three to six months and six to nine months. Well, you know about this yes. being a father. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's only going to be able to wear this for uh -huh. a couple months. But I wonder what parents do then. I mean, hopefully, I think a lot of parents will save them and pass them right. down to the next child, mm -hmm. but also to give them for families that are poor yeah. that can use these clothes. What's your experience with that? With yeah, I mean, things get passed around within the family and, you know, extended family. And it's always nice whenever you get a garbage bag full of, of hand-me-downs from somebody that's like, <laughs> yes, we don't have to buy clothes. And stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, to... To be able to reuse things and not feel like everything has to be new. And I mean, that's, I guess, maybe a, a different angle on this is not to consume more. I guess this is kind of getting into what we talked about with, you know, eating and drinking is, is not wasting, not buying more than we need for ourselves. Uh -huh. You know, in addition to, you know, when we have more than we need to give that away. Yeah. I think probably, doesn't Christ Child Society and Women's Care Center, do they accept baby clothes or children's clothes, I wonder. I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. a great example, like you said, you know, baby clothes doesn't get used that much, but there's people that need that yeah. for their children, especially if having the baby in the first place was a financial right. drain on them and it was difficult. It's exactly. a great way that we can minister to them. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that you mentioned was human trafficking, and, and this is maybe a little bit of a departure, but when we were talking about the dignity of the person, so you got the practical side, you mentioned... Yeah, you know, winter clothing and and you know you could say work clothes, things that keep you safe when you're you're working. But there's also that the whole dignity side of things. Of you know we were born naked and not ashamed, you know. But then due to the fall, to be clothed is how would you explain that? Like it's you're not, getting into Saint John Paul II's theology of the body. Sure, sure. Yeah, when Adam and Eve were naked without shame because they could look at each other's bodies without lust. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that whole idea of of seeing each other as a gift and then the idea of self-giving, of course, that was disrupted by the fall and we have original sin, and therefore now it's necessary to be clothed. Mm -hmm. It gets into the whole virtue of modesty in dress, right? which is kind of a difficult topic in the sense of, you know, in different cultures, there's kind of different ideas about what is modesty. But the important thing is that we never look at another person as an object or an object of one's sexual desire. We don't look at someone with lust in our hearts. So therefore, 
it is important to be modest in the way one dresses, both men and women. You know, it's not all about how women dress. It's also how men dress. So that that's a virtue that's, um, you know, how much of the body to be exposed is mm -hmm. basically the question, what's appropriate. So sometimes I'll get letters, people talk about how people will dress at mass yeah. and go to church. And, you know, that's kind of a sensitive topic because people can be very offended mm -hmm. if they're criticized about the way they dress. But, but there is something about we're going to worship the Lord, we're going to church to dress appropriately, sure. both men and women, and not to treat it so casually like you're going to a ball game, mm -hmm. you know? So, so that there, gets into a whole nother realm. Yeah. Is there cultural differences or is there a universal kind of reasoning of, of what is modest or what's immodest definitely there are cultural differences uh -huh. you know it's kind of hard to legislate on this okay you know there are some places in the world especially where there's hot climates mm -hmm. where it would not be considered immodest to have more of a body exposed than let's say here in the united states mm -hmm. and i remember when pope john paul would travel to some of those countries some people in our country or in Europe would be a little scandalized the way people were dressing, but they're in tropical climates. And I think we'd be careful not to just prejudge and say that incites lust, mm -hmm. you know? And the problem also is in the beholder, not just the one who's, who's oh, yeah. dressing. I mean, right. there needs to be the proper chastity and custody of the eyes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and if you have any questions for Bishop, don't forget you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598, and we'll continue to talk about the corporal work of mercy, clothing the naked, how this relates to sweatshops, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about corporal works of mercy. Today's episode, we're talking about clothing the naked. And we've talked about some of the, the literal interpretations of this, of, of providing clothing for those that are in need. But it, it kind of makes me think also of just nudity in general. And maybe this is a whole separate episode talking about this. But in artwork, specifically, like I've been to Rome and the Sistine Chapel and all of this art in our churches, a lot of times there is nudity in there. How is this different from other forms of nudity that we would say is inappropriate? Yeah, or pornographic. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's meant to incite sexual pleasure, it's it, it, then it's or or sexual arousal. We're talking about then pornography. Mm -hmm. But the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel or the Last Judgment scene where there is total nudity or partial nudity, that's not pornographic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a depiction of creation. It's a depiction of 
the human body, not in a way that is meant to incite sexual passion. And it can be very beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, or you look at sculptures too, mm -hmm. um, that you'll see a lot in Rome, for example. And just covering those things up is being very puritanical. I mean, there's was, a beauty to the human body. and it's Was not, there a phase that we did cover those up? Yeah, there was. Yeah. And um, actually, Michelangelo, when he was painting, one of the, I think it was one of the cardinals, you know, was criticizing and went to the Pope that because of some nude figure and Michelangelo ended up uh, painting that cardinal who was complaining in hell or purgatory. I can't remember which. <laughs> Be careful what you say to the artist. Yeah, yeah. So art versus pornography, mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, Michelangelo would be probably the most famous example. But there's certainly other uh, Catholic artists as well. Another issue, I think, whenever we talk about clothing and dignity of people, we have to look at the dignity of the worker who is creating the clothing. And when we look at things like sweatshops, uh, how do we reconcile? Because a lot of times I'm just looking for the cheapest clothing. Right. I don't want to waste money on clothes, but I have no idea what the conditions were that made it so that they're able to keep it so cheap. What's our responsibility? It's a huge, it's a huge problem. Yeah. I mean... There are countries where children are made to work, you know, at very young ages mm -hmm. in these sweatshops and textiles and production of clothing. That's wrong. And so some of these really cheap prices are because of workers not being paid just wages or even, you know, child labor. Mm -hmm. So it would be good if we would support those stores that do pay just wages to workers and do not, you know, use children. Uh, now that takes a little bit of study. I mean, right. a little bit of research, but I think it's good for us to be advocates for products that aren't made in sweatshops or, or not made by companies who disrespect the rights of workers in order to make a larger profit. Mm -hmm. One thing one could do is purchase clothing from fair trade stores. I mean, that's another thing. I try to, you know, I have to confess, you know, this is a little time consuming, but. I can't absolve you just as a heads up. <laughs> but things like coffee. Right. You know, right. I do like to buy fair trade coffee. Yeah. And you can get online and check out these things out. There's some fair trade coffee and fair trade chocolate, for example, that mm -hmm. we sell in Good Shepherd Bookstore in Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. Our cards and gifts, and uh, I like to buy those because I know it's supporting yeah. these companies that are in or these small businesses in poor countries of Latin America and Africa, and they are paying just wages, and it's really helping people. Right, you might have to pay a little bit more, yeah, for fair trade products, but when you think about it, then you're supporting really good businesses that their businesses are being ethically right. responsible. Yeah. Any tips on the clothing aspect? I mean, we have, with coffee, you'll see labels right on the packaging that it's fair trade or, or something like that. I don't see that as often with clothing of people bragging about that or... You know, I'm not a good person to ask because I don't buy clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why I'm not really... Well, I shouldn't say that. I will buy them like I did for my uh -huh. great nephew for Christmas. But I, I'll have to confess, I didn't check to see where it was made. But now I think next time I go shopping in light of our 
program today, I'm going to look. Yeah. I think it is good. Or other things too, even buying toys and whatever. Right, right. You know? Shoes um, is a big one. Shoes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we didn't talk about that, but shoes can be quite expensive sometimes, good shoes. You know, there are people who develop feet problems because of not wearing proper shoes, especially if people can't afford the proper shoes. So there are various things like that that we can be aware of as well. I just recently was exposed to a concept of buying for life. Have you heard of this? No. It's the idea of that it's smarter if you're able to pay for a higher quality item that is going to last longer than a poor quality item that's going to not last as long. And so you end up paying more in the long run by replacing it. And it fills up our landfills. It's like a lose-lose situation. And that the poor are unjustly basically punished for not being able to afford the nicer thing that's going to last longer. So the rich can buy the thing that's going to not need to be replaced and be a better investment while the poor have to get the, the cheap tool that's going to break and have to replace it every year or a cheap knife or whatever. Yeah. So I think the similar thing goes with clothing. A lot of times I, I always lend towards the cheapest thing, but sometimes buying the higher quality thing that's going to last longer and might be supporting better business practices is the more ethical choice mm-hmm. and not just a, might seem like a, a waste of money for buying something that's more expensive. That's true. One thing to think about, too, is, you know, helping someone who who can't afford a better quality thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it takes some personalized service in that case. It's not just donating used items, but, but what do they really need? I was thinking in this area of shoes. I'm kind of into this because I have a problem with some of my toes. So if I don't have the proper shoes, right. I get blisters, right? I mean just have a real problem with getting a lot of blisters. I need to get to a podiatrist. But but in any <laughs> case, I know how, you know, it gets painful if yeah. I don't have the right kind of shoe. And I remember buying a new pair of shoes just last year that I kept trying to wear and they hurt and hurt and hurt. So it was a waste. I bought a pair of shoes that I can't wear them. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not the proper size, but I guess it's the width or whatever. And so I'll give them away, obviously. Sure. But I think about people who don't have that luxury that they can just give them away and go and buy another pair, you know? So I think it is good to, you know, if we can personalize the help that a person might need. There's all kinds of health effects that the poor suffer Mm -hmm. from something as simple as that. Right. Or like we talked about earlier, not being properly dressed for bad weather Mm -hmm. and therefore more susceptible than to catching something, to catch a cold, or to get sick. Yep. So clothing the naked is also related to having good health. Yeah. And to be well-dressed for a job interview or something like that, that if somebody is showing up in a job interview with old beat-up clothes, they might be judged for that. And mm-hmm. But if they can stop by a St. Vincent de Paul and they give them a nice, clean collared shirt, and that could just snowball into a greater situation for their life to get a good job, to be able to provide for themselves and family. Yeah. There's also the danger of, I would say, luxurious lifestyles and spending excessive amounts on luxurious clothing. I mean, Oh, sure. You know, I think we can all examine our lives and think, how can I live more simply, Mm -hmm. uh, more modestly? Not that, 
a lot of our listeners would be like able to, or, or whatever to go out and buy, you know, spending thousands of dollars on an item of clothing. But that happens. Sure. When you think about all the people who are struggling in our world, that seems to me to be excessive. And it seems like we should avoid that kind of thing. And what's the whole purpose behind it? It can be vanity, mm-hmm. you know? So we have to be careful of vanity with one's clothing. Well, we talk about modesty as in how much skin is showing, but modesty is also like the kind of jewelry you're wearing, or like you said, right. just really extravagant clothing. Or to uh, be modest is not all with how much skin is showing. Exactly. Yeah. Because what's the, the worst vice? What's the worst or the, the most fundamental sin, the mother of all sin? It's pride. Mm-hmm. And vanity is one of those species of pride, just like conceit and arrogance. They're all aspects of pride. Well, so is vanity. Yeah. Vanity, that's about one's appearance. Well, there are two statistics that I had here that we kind of missed over when we were on the topics, but I thought were worth maybe going back and looking at. One is in regards to child labor and and sweatshops. According to the International Labor Organization, in developing countries, an estimated 168 million children that are ages 5 to 14 are forced to work. That's not, I can understand kids ages 5 to 14 wanting to work and to be able to help provide for their family, but being forced to work is a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. And 168 million children. And then we were talking about trafficking, and I think a lot of times we think this is a, a foreign country problem, but it's estimated that in the U.S. there are 199,000 incidents of trafficking each year, almost 200,000 each year in the, in the United States. Yeah. Yep. So these are both. We even have it here in our diocese. Right. So something to keep in our prayers, but also anything that we can do to, to intervene on these, to be aware of where your clothes are made and also you know, this whole trafficking thing, there are many organizations that are dedicated to helping children, women, men that are involved with this to to get out and to, to make sure there are safeguards in place so it doesn't happen in the first place that people yep. are safe. Yep. All right. Well, again, this has been a challenging one for me, and I know I need to go through my closet now. Me too. And, <laughs> me too. And be more aware of the things that I'm purchasing, you know, clothes, coffee, anything that where, where is this made? How is it being made? And is it being done with the dignity of the worker in mind? So mm-hmm. thank you, Bishop. And all, yeah, the dignity of the worker, fair salaries, and also safe working conditions. Right. That's another thing that we sometimes forget about. You know, I think about how some of my ancestors, you know, many had to work in the coal mines mm-hmm. and terrible, unsafe, and of course, unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But that goes on today, mm-hmm. not so much in mining, at least in our country, probably in other countries where it's real problematic without the safety conditions. But these sweatshops that we talked about, they are also unsafe, right. many of them. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop, for another great episode. If people want to check out the previous episodes that we've done, you can find those at spokestreet.com slash askbishop. We've got uh, the the other ones that we did on the Corporal Works of Mercy, as well as many other episodes there. So people can find that there as well as submit a question if you'd like. But before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? 
Sure, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.